The episode contains details and descriptions of crimes and events involving details of injury description that some listeners may find disturbing and or distressing. Discretion is advised while listening. Today's guest is Leticia Francis of Black Rose Coaching. Leticia supports women who are ready to leave their soul-sucking careers by helping find the clarity and confidence needed to build their dream business, embracing a success mindset along the way. She loves talking about and address the fears and limiting beliefs so that we can step into power. Please give a warm welcome to ever-blessed Leticia Francis. Hello. Hi there. But how was your how was your week going? Is is it a Friday still or is it Saturday? It's Friday for me still, and it has been an interesting week to be honest. Mm. I um, you know how you come across information online and you kind of just like dismiss it because you know online is so noisy. But I came across some information about manifestation that has like literally blown my mind. And that is what I've been focused on this week. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you even in just five days of really focusing, I can see a complete shift. And I'm really grateful for that. Oh good. Yeah. Definitely bring that in my direction. But anyways, thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, um, and I'm so happy to have you here as my guest on the podcast. Plus, I was looking at your website is also and you had some really interesting client case study videos. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been dibbling and dabbling about the idea of creating my own business. And I, I was really intrigued about your background just reading just a tidbit of the summarization of your life on your website, I was put aback on how this is still going on. I mean, it's it's probably not as fresh in your mind when it was occurring, you being groomed and going through the, I'm thinking about your, your personal side of outside of the coaching mm-hmm. side, but that's still going on like today. And it's, I don't know if it's just a, um, the differentiation between is it a culture thing or is it just something that society is considered as a norm? But to have you at such a young age to go through what you've gone through, I think I've been listening to your podcast that you you did a little. You went from one extreme to the other. You said you also <laughs> were a law law enforcement, right? And then yes. you were also sitting in jail for uh, for a day or so. Yes. So I mean, that's literally night and day (laughs) literally night and day so and i know that you wanted to talk on your topics of limiting beliefs and overcoming fears based on what you're wanting to talk about because this is your podcast actually i wanted to know a a little bit more about you and i know that you have bittersweet journey so can you tell us a little bit about who is leticia and how you became on this journey from where you were where you grew up, um, what made you choose to become a coach? Okay, so I was born in Bermuda, um, born and raised in Bermuda. Um, and at the age of seven, I was told by a family member that my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. Mm. And believe it or not, that was a defining moment for me. That changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. I was in between two families. Both parents remarried. 
both step parents didn't want much to do with me. So I was literally in between two family units trying to find myself and find acceptance and love. I am a big personality. I describe myself as a self-contained hurricane. I'm a huge personality (laughs) and most people cannot handle me, you know, and when you're younger, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was told most of my life, I am too much. I'm too got too much attitude. I, you know, too smart for my own good. And it left me just wanting to be loved and accepted. I didn't ask for this personality, but I have it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted someone to just accept me for me. By the time I was 14, fully developed, I thought I was a grown woman and I met a man that was twice my age. He was 28 years old and he showed me that love and affection and attention that I wanted. Um, and I, 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 I drank it up like a McDonald's milkshake. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I hadn't had that full acceptance. And Bermuda is a very small place. You can't hide much. And my mom found out about him very early. And I remember her coming to me and saying, listen, this guy is a dangerous man. She had done a background check and found out that all of his relationships had ended in restraining order. Mm. And But as a teenager who doesn't have the best relationship with her mother, am I listening to you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No. (laughs) The first time he put his hands on me, I was just about 16. He choked me um, because he thought that someone else was showing me some attention and he didn't like that. And I had enough sense that that wasn't a great relationship. So I left and being back home all the time, because that was my escape, right? You know, I can go up his house. I can stay out late. Um, Being back home without having that person in my life now that has accepted me. I'm back in that environment where I'm constantly being told that I'm too much and I've got too much attitude and I am the problem. It created anger for me. And I remember constantly fighting with my parents. Um, There was a point in time where I had gotten in an argument with my mother's husband and I remember threatening to kill myself. And he made a complete mockery of me. Oh, you're going to kill yourself? Let's watch. He Mm. brought everybody in the kitchen, my mom, my sisters into the kitchen, and they watched me take a handful of a leaf. And I left the house and my mom came after me. And I remember the drive to the hospital. She was telling me how angry she was at me. And I was kind of like shocked. You're angry at me, but you sat there and let your husband mock me and you did nothing. Mm. And I'm supposed to care about your anger. What about mine? You know, Um, I went into outpatient psychiatric care for several years because of that incident. There was a point in time I moved in with my father for a short period of time and was told after a couple of weeks that his wife didn't want to raise another child. So I had to go back to my mother. So kind of being shipped around, no one really wanting to deal with the root cause of my anger. Um, 
it just made me even more angry. Mm-hmm. And there was an incident where I put my mom and I had gotten in an argument and I put my hands on her. I, I, I pushed her or something, you know, and a couple of weeks later, I remember getting like a certified ladder notification of a certified ladder and not understanding where it could come from. I was 17 at this time. So who would be sending me a certified ladder? And I remember having a conversation with my mama about it, completely confused. And she just sat there like, oh, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what that is. So I go pick up this ladder <laughs> and it was a letter from my mother's lawyer telling me that I was no longer allowed on her property. And if I returned to her property, I would be removed by the police. So being a minor at this point, what am I supposed to do? I can't get an apartment. I can't even get a proper job to support myself. I called the only person that I knew would help. And that was the man that mm. I had been involved with. So he gladly took me in. Yes, come back, you know. And almost immediately, this psychological abuse began. No one in this world loves you but me. Mm-hmm. No one cares enough to put a roof over your head but me. You owe me. And I lived with that for many years to the point where it really wore down my psyche. At the age of 19, I married him. And when I married him, I had experienced abuse here and there. Like he would slap me, he would punch me, he would kick me. Nothing. And I don't want to make it dismiss how wrong that was. But it was nothing that created concern for me, Mm -hmm. if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. I have been told that my mouth was too much. And a lot of times I would get slapped because I would argue back or, you know, I've always got an attitude. So the things that I heard my whole life almost excused his behavior. Mm -hmm. I I questioned myself. Like it wasn't a, a case of having this, incident of abuse and I sit there and like oh my god this guy he's he's wrong for this no it was always why can't you just shut your mouth like you didn't have to say that to him it was always my fault Mm -hmm. and I believed it was my fault so by the time I got married it was this is what you have to deal with Mm -hmm. and When I did get married, the abuse amplified because now I belong to him. I'm his wife. He can do whatever he wants. At this time, I was working in law enforcement. And a lot of people ask me, why didn't you leave when you were working in law enforcement? Working in law enforcement in a small community you get to see the human side of people. Bermuda is tiny. And I used to listen to the police officers. I was a customs officer, but I worked alongside police officers, right? I used to hear police officers gossiping about calls that they went on and things that people were going through behind closed doors. And I didn't want to be 
the butt of people's jokes. I didn't want my business all over the streets. I didn't want my co-workers knowing what was going on in my household. So I essentially hid what was going on in my house because I didn't want people to judge me for it. I was already judged Mm -hmm. being in my early 20s with this man that was significantly older than me. And I felt that I had to justify being in this situation. So after being in law enforcement for a while, I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted out of my life. And I wanted to go to school. And I remember having a conversation with him saying, I want to go to school. And he was like, no, you should have done that before you got married. It's absolutely no way you're leaving me now. That triggered me. I wanted to leave once I saw that he was actually holding me back. And the abuse didn't bother me because I almost felt like I deserved it. But seeing someone who loved me, literally not wanting me to grow was a problem for me. Shortly after that, I remember coming home and a friend of mine's called to seek advice. I have painted such a pretty picture about my relationship that people used to come to me for relationship advice. And this person was telling me about being in an abusive relationship with a heroin addict and wanting to know how she can get out of that situation. And of course, the perfect friend that I was in the perfect relationship, I had the perfect advice for her. And I remember picking up a book by Ian LaVenzant called Until Today. And randomly opening this book and reading a passage to her that talked about people being in our lives for a reason, a season and a lifetime. And the reason why a lot of our interpersonal relationships don't work is because we are trying to keep someone who was meant to be there for a reason. We're trying to keep them there for a season and a lifetime. And it's just not going to work out. And I remember sitting there reading this book and, and, and feeling like a sinner in church. Like this is why this relationship's not working because we're not meant to be together. Mm -hmm. That night was significant because my husband came home that night drunk. He had found my cell phone and in my cell phone was text messages from another man. And he was very angry about it. He had made a comment and I actually don't remember what he said to me, but it was almost shocking. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be so bad. Having endured years of abuse and torture, I kind of knew when things were going to be a quick fight or like a night long fight. Hmm. And it was something in his face, in his eyes that night that actually really terrified me. I was scared. And I remember calling my mother on the landline and, and I was like, listen, come get me right now, right, right now. And he pulled the landline out of the wall. So I actually don't, didn't even know if she heard what I said. He told me that night, the only way that I was leaving is if I was in a body bag And I believed him. I really believed that he was going to kill me. He barricaded us in a bedroom and I fought for my life. 
this period I always say was like a auto body experience. I was watching the events unfold as if I was watching a movie. And I remember seeing the knife come towards me. I never processed pain. I never processed anything. I actually didn't know that he had stabbed me. Mm. And we were living with someone at that time. His friend came home in, in the commotion and broke into the room that he had barricaded, which allowed me to run out. So I ran into the living room. I fell on the couch and he ran after me and straddled me on the couch and proceeded to try to stab me. Luckily enough, he wasn't able to stab me again, but his friend pushed me out of the house. Like, you gotta go. Like, this is too much. You gotta go. I was outside in the rain. This house didn't have grass. It was like surrounded by mud and I don't, I really don't know how long I was outside, but my mom pulled up. Hmm. And then he saw that my mother was there. He started throwing my clothes out the window. And I'm trying to pack my mama's car with these muddy clothes. And I realized that he had thrown out some Louis Vuittons. So one of the things that he used to do to apologize to me for the abuse that I endured was buy me Louis Vuitton bags and purses and planners, whatever. And then I saw those Louis Vuittons come out the window. I was like, okay, forget the clothes. <laughs> Let me go get those bags because they were worth something. They were worth a lot. And in my early 20s, that's what I valued. I valued my Louis Vuitton, not my life, you know. Um, he then came outside once he realized he threw the Louis Vuittons out the window to get the Louis Vuittons back. And we fought for a brief period of time. And I, my mom was so terrified about what was happening. Um, she was screaming and screaming. And I think that's what made me realize, wait a minute, you're in a lot of danger here. Like this could be really bad. So we laughed. My mom tried to convince me to go to the hospital, but again, I didn't want the police involved in any aspect. So I was like, no, not going to the hospital. So I went to my mom's house. We cleaned up the wound. And less than two hours later, my mom says to me, well, what are you going to do? Because you can't stay here. <laughs> I was like, what? I, I just got stabbed. What, where am I going? You know? So my mom packed me up into the car and dropped me to the closest police station mm. where I was then escorted to a homeless shelter for women. And I remained there for two and a half months. As I built my life, I was still going work, still acting like everything was okay. And um, I finally got my first apartment and I thought, okay, this is it. Like I'm out of this relationship. I've got my own place. Okay. Life is going to be amazing. Huh. Really? That didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen at all because for the first time in my life, I'm alone. And I don't know how to deal with the loneliness. So I began drinking and I drank a lot. I'm not talking about wine in the bath, <laughs> you know, after a long day at work. I was drinking bottles of scotch and 
what's interesting is I actually didn't like being drunk and I hated the taste of scotch, but I drank the strongest thing that I could to numb my emotions, to numb the pain that I was going through because I didn't seek help after leaving my husband. And that culminated into almost 10 years of self-sabotage for me. Mm-hmm. Um, drinking, partying, prom- promiscuity, just living life with reckless abandon. And eventually I got tired of that because, I mean, that's not really who I am. And I made a decision to leave Bermuda and I went off to, I finally went off to university. I went to Georgia State University and I was piecing life back together. I felt really good about things. I had gotten a full scholarship to go to Georgia State. Like I really was doing amazing. And then I met this guy. (laughs) So as a non-American, and I hope I don't offend anybody, we've always like you see in movies how men are fast talkers and you know growing up in a small community is easy to do your research on someone as my mother did with my first husband right like who is this person who are they related to you know you can't do that in a huge place like america and i was hesitant about having a relationship with this guy but it was just something about the way he fast talked me like it was just something different i i saw hook line and sinker and we were in a long-term relationship and i hid the fact that he was a cocaine addict He literally drained me of all the finances that I got as a result of my scholarship. And after three years of unbelievable nonsense dealing with what comes along with being in a relationship with an addict, and he used daily, um, I found out (laughs) that he was married. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So wow, to top it all off. Yeah. To top it all off. Wow. So that was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be in a relationship because clearly <laughs> I don't know how to pick these men, right? So I moved back to Bermuda. I got my life back together. I got an amazing job in commercial insurance and I was really focused on building my life and just focused on me. But, you know, I'm human. I get lonely. And I remember having a conversation with one of my friends saying, you know, okay, it's been a year. I I do want to have a friend, you know, but she was like, you got to manifest, like write a list of all the things that you want in a man and don't accept anything less. And I remember writing this list. It was like 45 things that I wanted. I needed in my next relationship. And less than a week later, I met this guy that like literally ticked all the boxes, but one, I wanted a six foot eight man because I'm in <laughs> six foot. So like I wanted a bear and he was not that, <laughs> but he was everything else. Right. And the relationship, it just, it was like a whirlwind Hollywood movie romance. Like honestly, it was really amazing. And I I think I was in a point where I was like, pinch me, pinch me. Like, I got to wake up from this 
because it cannot be true. Less than a year into that relationship, one of his family members died and he relapsed on crack cocaine. Mm. (sighs) I remember just being so upset because my fairy tale quickly became a nightmare, like quick overnight. And it got to a point where I was trying to get him help. You know, I had set boundaries. I was like, listen, like, I, I can't, I cannot do this again. And if you get help, I'll support you. But if you don't get help, I have to leave. And I spent some time trying to get support for him. And in that process, I met this lady um, who was a drug and alcohol counselor, but she was also a life coach. And I remember her saying to me, I see how broken you are Mm. and I want to help you. And I was like, I don't need no help, girl. (laughs) I'm looking for help for my man. I'm not the one with the problem. But I took her card anyway. And several months later, as a result of this relationship with this man, I was arrested on my job. Um, for receiving stolen goods. He was a chef and he had been stealing from his job. On this particular day, he had called me to ask me to pick up something from his job. And I didn't think anything of it because he was catering on the side. And as far as I knew, he was sourcing the meat from his job for a cheaper price. So, you know, it wasn't something that I thought about. I then picked up this package. I was surrounded by security and I gave the package back. But for the police, that wasn't enough. So they came to my job, my corporate job, Mm. and arrested me. So I'm in jail now. And I had to call my mom, my Mm. one phone call. Can you please get me a lawyer? Because... Like this, this cannot be how, be how things go on right now. <sighs> she decided to come to the jail that day. And I'm sat behind the glass talking to my mama through a phone, watching her absolutely bowl her eyes out. But she said one thing to me that I changed my life. She said to me, why are, why do you love everyone else more than you love yourself? Hmm. And that was like a Mike Tyson body blow to me because it was being hit with reality. The reason why I was in this position is because I was putting someone else first. The reason why I was in, in this position is because that had been my narrative for so long. I didn't love myself enough to set boundaries. I didn't love myself enough to say no. Right? Right, right. And while I was never charged, and it, it's fair to note that I spent more time in jail than, than he did, <sighs> but I was never charged with anything. But once I was released from jail, the first thing that I went to look for was that life coach's card. Mm. 
because I realized that my decisions had gotten me to exactly where I was. And if I didn't change the way that I was making decisions, I won't be so lucky next time. I would have done time next time. I would have been caught up in something that really, it could have taken my life. It could have taken my freedom. And it wasn't something that I was willing to do. So I spent the next five months working with a life coach. And she really helped me to see that the position that I took in life after my divorce, or probably even before my divorce, if I'm honest, was one of victimhood. Life was happening to me. I didn't have any control of what was happening. Where is me? Sob story, you know. But the fact that I had resigned myself to being a victim actually was me giving away my power. And my power came from standing in the decisions that I've made, taking ownership for the parts that I've played in anything, right? And I'm not saying that I played a part in my abuse, but being there for such a long period of time, I had to take some ownership for that, right? My experiences made me a survivor. My healing allowed me to move away from being a survivor to being a driver. And after working with that life coach for several months, I made a decision to move to England and press reset. Opportunity to be in an environment where nobody knows my story and I can really shift into, I can recreate myself Mm -hmm. with no hesitation and that's what I did my boyfriend as a result of me being locked up went into rehab he has now been clean for nine years he is now my husband and the father of my two children and we have spent the last nine years building and healing um which has allowed us to build a relationship that is that is built on support, love, and honesty. During the nine years that I've been in England, I focused on my career. Um, I said I worked in commercial insurance, and anyone that works in commercial insurance outside of the US, I think, um, probably has aspirations to work in Lloyds of London. Lloyds of London is the oldest insurance institution in the world. It is staunch on tradition, staunch on history. And I spent the last nine years of my life building my career to a place where I was a manager in a top 10 in Lloyds of London insurance syndicate which to me was the pinnacle of my career i felt like wow like with all that i've been through i've i've made it like easy we made it we're moving on up you know what i mean like (laughs) it's so amazing being working in that building you know being a manager managing a multinational team however (laughs) as a foreign black woman in england Mm -hmm. I experience a tremendous amount of racism. Mm -hmm. I was in a position my last five years in my career as a manager, not allowed to make decisions, Um, literally being shut down. 
being in meetings and having a white man make a disclaimer about my personality so that the other white man in the room would feel comfortable, it started to grate on me. It started to trigger me because once again, even though I'm successful, once again, I'm too much. Mm-hmm. Once again, my personality is not suited for the environment. And I think having spent so much time working on me, I was no longer in a position where I was willing to be put into a box. Mm-hmm. I am too much for people who are too weak to handle me. And that's something that I had to learn. I spent my entire life living to someone else's expectation. And as a result of that, I lost myself. After 30 plus years of that, you get tired. Mm -hmm. And I got tired of not being myself. I got tired of being pushed in a box and I got tired of muting my voice to keep other people around me comfortable, right? So I had two children back to back. My second daughter, six hours after she was born, I received an email from a coworker or my personal email acknowledging the birth of my child, but then proceeding to ask me about work. And I felt absolutely disrespected like are you kidding me Mm -hmm. I was out of work for three and a half weeks you could have asked me that before I gave birth to my child and I made a decision then in the hospital bed that I don't care what I do I gotta find a way to capitalize on my too muchness And start making money for myself. And I was reminded about the transformation that I hear working with that life coach. Working with that life coach absolutely changed my life. It allowed me to see how my thinking impacted my action. It allowed me to take ownership of everything that I did so that I was constantly empowered to do more. And I wanted to help other people do that. Um, you know, my slogan now is I help women get their mind right so that they can see success and fulfillment in their lives. And the reason why is because a lot of times the reason why we're not seeing the success or the fulfillment that we want in our lives is because of what's going on between our ears. Yes. We, we, dismiss how powerful our emotions are, how powerful our thinking is. And I think particularly with Black women or women of color, I think that is the paradigm shift that we need. We need to shift our narratives and change these generational stories that we've told ourselves that we can have the success we can't have you know what we want we can't have the dream life particularly without success like it's no way possible I think particularly as women of color sacrifice is almost a badge of honor and I'm tired of seeing it I'm tired. Like, you do not have to sacrifice your third 
child Mm -hmm. to have a dream life. So I've built my business over the last 18 months, two years now. Um, Yeah, because my baby just went too. So I built my, my business over the last two years on the premise of really helping women rewrite the narratives and change the stories. Because I believe that if we can heal women, we heal the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing my part with my big personality <laughs> to make that impact. I actually am very happy to have someone who has such a voiceful personality anyways, because I, in, in my mind, I'm like, you go girl. <laughs> you, <laughs> you just walk that walk, talk, talk, talk. I love to see powerful women like take charge take charge of what hasn't been you know your priority should have been yourself but like you said you know both multiple years of constantly conditioned to say that everyone else's circumstances and their concerns and their matters take precedence over your well-being and your um your stability and to me, you're like enough is enough. Uh, I'm putting my foot down on that. I love it. Just listening to your story, I had a lot of flashbacks. I was trying to not cry <laughs> because I've gone through some of that that you've gone through in a different story. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try not to cry because that's what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> I saw the emotion on your face at one point. Yeah. I, I definitely did. Yeah. It's like the things that you pointed out in your story, it's like things that I did not comprehend until like I'm today years old in knowing mm-hmm. things that you just referenced and identified the particular behavior habits and the tactics that people do uh, to other people to control them and to condition them and to groom them and to do things to manipulate them. I'm today years old (laughs) on a lot of things that you just said. And it's like horrible to hear another woman going through the similar types of level of trauma as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, something this is this is why I take pride in sharing my story, and which why we even shifted the conversation today, right? Because yeah. we as women create community by sharing our stories. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we go through things and we tell ourselves no one else has ever experienced this for all alone. And just by sharing our stories, sharing how we've overcome things, it is inspiration to others, even when we have no idea. Like, I didn't know going into this that you had experienced trauma. And I'm so glad that we didn't follow script. You know what I mean? Because (laughs) it gave us an opportunity to build a community here. And, you know, if I was near you, I will hug you. Mm-hmm. But I respect you for sharing with me. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. It's, it's, you 
like you said, you've, you've had multiple podcasts and you were spot on and all the questions that as well as the organic questions that were my mystery questions that I didn't even inform you of. And you were spot on on that as well. So it, so it just went swimmingly in regards to this conversation. So I thank you for sharing that, especially with the, I know a lot of listeners and it's unfortunate. A lot of listeners have gone through the similar type of struggles on all levels of their life and their journey. So, mm-hmm. but I love, I love the inspirational where you took that pain and made it a purpose. You know, you made that struggle into success. So this gives me, and uh, I know for sure all the other listeners who are listening in or watching this on YouTube that, uh, you know, they're going to get something out of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you so much. I'm sorry. I mean, my story is as long as yours, but I, I, I don't like to take the floor, really. It's, 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 um, I'm still working with that. <laughs> and I, well, I want you to know that if you need space to express yourself, I am here to hold space for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Well, I mean, that pretty much wraps everything up I mean, in a nice, perfect bow of this podcast, because that's exactly what I wanted to hit on, because I wanted to ask you, as well as that, like being a woman of color in the UK, because I personally re- remember when I was in the UK as a child, I was actually in a military base at school. You would think of all places, the diversity. No, it was probably even worse. No matter what, no matter where we are, there's a constant ridicule of trying to put darkness on our light as women of color. Mm-hmm. The power, the empowerment that we have, finding ways to bear us down before we ignite to kind of snuff out that light. And at a young age, That's how it starts. And in my sense, in my understanding, this is a way of grooming of society for women of color. And that's a shame. That's and I and I want to just I want to snuff that darkness Mm -hmm. out with my light and say it's going to stop. Enough is enough with this. And so that is one of the reasons why I created this podcast, too, because it needs to be out there. It needs to be heard. It needs to be. There needs to be testimonials, people with the, the similar journeys that they have gone through, like you yourself, Letitia, that, you know, with all of that, you can still be a powerful, strong black woman in society. Mm-hmm. So I will stop my rambling. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say that's why I'm so passionate about doing this, right? Because mm-hmm. whether or not people want to accept it or not, women of color on the bottom of the totem pool. We are even below the black man. We are the lowest. And if we continue to fall into that category, we will never rise. So I'm, I'm here to see my own rise. I mean, I constantly get questions, you know, I've been called racist because I focus on black women, but it's not going to change how I feel, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, those who feel it, know it. And I just want us to be able to change our narrative. 
Right. Because the reason why we're at the bottom is because we're the most intimidating. The, the, we are the most intimidating. They are, they do not want to see us rise. And that's exactly why we need to. Yep, exactly. I completely agree. And I know that we kind of, we're, we're not spinning off the context of, you know, your coaching, because that was the end result of your life journey. I mean, it's still continuing because you are growing, you are becoming ever so bright in your family's life, your self, self-awareness, self-love, mm-hmm. and your business is going to flourish. So, and I wanted to, to kind of hit on that as well. Black Rose coaching. Yes, Black Rose coaching. Yes. Okay. So tell me, you said you started that about 18 months ago. Yes. And um, your root development of that, of your business is, is pretty much based on your experience as an overall and the, you infuse that into your coaching services or um, can you tell me just a little tidbit on if a person, a prospective client is interested in your services, what are the types of clients? And I know I, I did review a couple of your videos for your client mm-hmm. case studies, but for the listeners who are not familiar with you, um, what is a little tidbit on, on the particular types of clients that you handle or you've dealt with? So I am a business mindset coach. I work on both mindset and business foundation. So my clients come to me when they're stuck. I it and it's it ranges. So I've had clients that come to me saying, Letitia, I want to start a business and I really don't know how to, I feel like I'm gonna fail. So we work on their mindset around failing because failing is not bad, it's not a bad thing at all. Um <laughs> Um, I help my clients build a business from idea to, you know, essentially helping them build a solid foundation to the business. So doing the market research, identifying the ideal client, building a personal brand, uh, engaged audience, a signature program or product so that they are profitable. Um, it's all about profits. We want to make sure that you're, you're being profitable as early as possible in the business, but also embodying what it takes to be successful. And that is about shifting their mindset and really embracing failure, taking build action and doing things um, despite the fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also help women with their personal journey as well. Working on, for me, I had to learn how to rewrite my limiting beliefs. So a limiting belief could be, I'm not good enough for that job or, you know, I, I, I don't have what it takes to get a promotion or I'm not lovable, so I'll never have a good relationship. Learning how to rewrite those narratives, I came up with a framework um, which helps my clients rewrite their limiting beliefs, uh, silence those toxic emotions that had me drinking for years, shame, guilt, embarrassment of the things that we've been through and then helping them identify their core values so that they can take action that are is aligned with their core values. I believe when we are operating from a place that is aligned with our core values, that's when we are the most content in life. So it's about helping my clients to work through all the mess that has kept them stuck. 
so that they have a bright future for themselves and teaching them how to, you know, set goals, how to take action and how to reflect, because that is most important. The reflection part is where we grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. So if anyone is interested in knowing more about who Letitia Francis is, um, what is the best places that they can reach out to you via website or... Yes, my website is Black Rose Coaching, B-L-A-Q-U-E is how I spell black, but all of my information is on my website. And um, you also have links to my social media, so you can always reach out to me on social media as well and say hello, um, ask any questions you may have. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I will be reaching out to you for sure now that our, our paths have crossed and I have a new sister that I can um, <laughs> fight in. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is awesome. Thank and you. We were able to cry together, you know, two perfect strangers, just able to. And that's the community. Hug. That's the power of a community. <laughs> exactly. And we, we as women need to utilize that more. Mm-hmm. There's so much support available for us if we just have the courage to ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Leticia. Now, is there anything that I'm missing that you'd like to say in closing or? I always like to close if given the opportunity. Yes. That this quote is Let's my favorite quote, my own. But walk as if every step you take is about to make an avalanche. Because sis, you are here to change the world. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. You're welcome. Absolutely. Yes. Have a wonderful weekend again. Yes, thank you, you so thank much. You. Thank you. Have a good one. You nice too. meeting you. You too. Thank you, Letitia. Take You're care. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Noise Palooza Zion podcast. If you're wanting to share or follow, I am on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, or website jasminecastillovoice.com. Show your love on any of the podcasts that does reviews, like Apple or Spotify. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for the next episode every Friday.